as we continue down this journey in Hebrews, I want to do a quick uh, refresh because we have been off. We were off last week, which means it's been two weeks since we've looked at it. So just a quick overview. Hebrews was written to a group of people that lived in and around the Rome area who were Jewish. And they had never seen the risen Christ, but they had trusted Christ, the ones who had trusted Him, because of other people's witness. And so there were three distinct groups of people there was, that is addressed in this letter. The first group is a group of people that intellectually have bought into Him being Messiah, and they bought in with their heart. He's captured their heart. They, they believe that He is the one who said, He said He was. And they've allowed their lives to change so much so that they went away from the Jewish rituals. They went away from the sacrificial system. And because of the testimony of apostles and others, they've said, we recognize that Jesus is all we need. But there was a group of Jewish people who said, no, this isn't right. You're going away from what God's commanded us to do. And they tried to pressure them back into the Jewish rituals. And so they were wavering. And so the writer to Hebrews is writing to instruct them, Jesus is supreme. He is all you need. Now there's a second group who's intellectually bought into that fact that Jesus is Messiah, but their hearts were never engaged. Their hearts were never in it. It was merely something they said, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds good. I like it, but their hearts were never for it. And he warns that group of people. The third group is a group of people that have not bought in with their head or heart, but the warnings apply to them as well. So you've got these warnings, five warnings in the book, to unbelievers who are, in some cases, professing and acting like believers unless there's a cost involved. And then they, they don't want to be believers. And those principles from that warning can be applied even to us if we are believers. Because even though you can't drift, I don't believe, from unbelief, I mean from belief, I'm sorry, to unbelief, you can drift from being exposed to the Gospel and being have the Holy Spirit revealed to you. And I think that's what he's teaching when he talks about drifting in chapter 2. What he's saying there is, listen, you are drifting in the first warning and be careful because now that you understand that Jesus is the only thing, the only sacrifice you need, He's the only thing that can save you, then don't drift away from that because if you do, you're going to drift and, and you're, you, there's no hope for you. There's no remedy if you go away from Jesus. And you're close. You're right here at the door. You've got your toe trying to stick it in the water and now you're going to go away because you're afraid your heart hasn't been engaged. So he tells them in chapter 2, be careful not to drift. Not to drift from this message of Jesus and the fact that they're so close. He's not talking to believers there. And he's not talking to believers in chapter 3 when he gives the warning there. In chapter 3, he warns... First, he starts off talking to the believers. Now, you've got to remember... He goes fluidly between talking to believers and unbelievers in this, this whole book, which for you and me, it's a book of the Bible, but for them it was a letter that was written to a group of believers. And when they read it, they started at the beginning of chapter 1, and then they read all the way through the whole letter at one sitting. 
And they're listening to it all. So they're not just hearing like we piecemeal it and we go through it every week and we're taking parts. But what I'm trying to do is contextualize for you so you understand what that writer's trying to say. And so he starts off in chapter 1, the very first part of the letter, saying Christ is supreme. That's ultimately what this is about. And then he says, you guys hold up angels as almost divine. Jesus is better than angels. And then in chapter 2, he gives them the first warning that we, we reference. He says, don't drift. And we talked about how even those principles can apply to you and me as Christians. We can't drift to unbelief, but what we can do is we can drift to being out of fellowship and being out of His power and being away from the Father. We don't abide in Him because we're, we're more concerned with the ways of the world. But if you're His, ultimately He's going to bring you back. Because in 2 Timothy 2.2, it says, even when we are faithless, He is faithful. He will bring us back. And in this passage, in 3, twice in this passage today, He talks about perseverance being the thing that identifies who those who are truly His. And the people that aren't His don't persevere. The people that aren't His walk away and never come back. The difference was between Judas and Peter was perseverance. They both fail. But what did He say to Peter? Peter, you're going to fail, but when you come back, do you notice He never said that to Judas? He didn't say to Judas, Judas, you're going to betray Me, but when you come back, because Judas was never of Him, according to what 1 John 2.19 says. They left because they were never part of us. And so he deals with that in this third chapter as well. And we looked at the first part of chapter 3 two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where he basically says, okay, all you Judaizers, you people who want to bring back the true believers into this sacrificial worship, let's talk about Moses. Moses was great. He was a great apostle. He was a great priest. But Jesus was greater. Jesus was greater. He doesn't degrade Moses. He says, yes, Moses was great. Jesus was greater. And remember I referenced John 5 where Jesus tells the, the religious leaders, He says, you don't believe in Moses because if you believed in Moses, you'd believe in Me. You don't really love Moses. You just talk about Moses. And so He's telling these people, Moses is great. Jesus is greater. He says, Moses was faithful, but Jesus was more faithful. Jesus always did what the Father wanted Him to do. What about Moses? Did He do that? No. He didn't. On multiple occasions, He didn't. So that makes Jesus greater. And then He says, Moses, yes, He had a unique relationship with God. He was a special servant. But Jesus was the begotten Son. He was a son. The Son's greater than the servant. So He lays that kind of as the backdrop for the second warning. Then He starts off in chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, everything I just said, that's what he's saying. Therefore, because Jesus was greater than Moses, then he goes into the text. And so we're going to look at 7 through 19, quickly go over what we covered before Thanksgiving in 7 through 11. And then we're going to focus primarily on 12 through 19. But as we look at this, I want you to remember what we covered before Thanksgiving. And the first principle of the warning is that God warns us that his word is ageless and our authority. And, and really, that's we, we talk about in SWAT, that's one of our core values. God's Word is our starting point. 
And, and guys, you can say what you want. You can articulate what you want about what, what your authority is in life. But at the end of the day, are you looking at His Word? Are you looking at whatever you're doing through the lens of His Word? Because if you're not, it's not your authority. If you don't know what His Word is, Derek, how can it be your authority? It can't be, right? If you don't know it, and yet you've got all these biblically illiterate people in churches that say, yeah, I love Jesus. I was with a guy the other night who was telling me, yeah, you know, I believe in God and I do this, all this. But, and then he, about 20 minutes later, and he was a good guy, but 20 minutes later in the conversation, yeah, I'm just starting to get into the Word of God. I'm just starting to get into the Word of God. How can His Word be your authority if you don't even know what it says? And, and, and most people, most people will come up and they'll hand you, hand you a, 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 a little track booklet, which I don't mind. I, I like using those. But you got to remind people, this is not God's Word. This is just a little thing to point you to the thing that God has given us, which is His Word, which is our authority. And so that's the first thing he warns us. The second thing he says is that our hearts are guarded by being alert and being accountable. If you're not alert, you know what happens? You get blindsided. If you're just wandering and you're not paying attention, Satan, it says in, in 1 Peter 5, he goes around roaring like a lion, like a toothless lion, by the way. But he, he goes around roaring, seeking who he can devour. And as a lot of times as guys, we tend to be oblivious to that. We go through and we think, well, I'm going to SWAT Bible study or I'm going to church or I'm, I'm doing these things and I've got everything good. And then all of a sudden, we've got an area over here that we've not been alert to. An area of weakness that, that, that's happening. And instead of praying, instead of going to God, we start trying to fix it. We call people. Brad and I talked about that the other day. We tend to call people. Instead of calling God first, we call people to get their opinion. David, what do you think about this, man? Can you help me out here? I don't know what to do. And we haven't even talked to God. We haven't gone to His Word. His Word has everything in it that we need for life and godliness. Everything to make us complete. And so our hearts have to be guarded through being alert and being accountable. And we're going to look at that in the text. Then the third warning he gives us is that our faith is ultimately proven by our actions and our loyalty. Our actions and our allegiance. Who are we loyal to? Ultimately, that's what reveals our heart. Because you can say all day long, can't you, Amos? You can say something. You know, Amos, you were a builder. I know you built, you built things, right? You were in that business. Imagine me being a, a, a contractor, or a, let's say I'm a land developer, and I come to you and I say, man, you got to use this builder. This guy's great. Best builder I've ever seen. Unbelievable. Really, what did he do for you? Oh, I don't use him. But he's great. What are you going to think? Well, why, why don't you use Him? Yeah. See, that's what people think when we don't put God on display in our life by being obedient. When we're griping and complaining about life all the time. When we're being disobedient, we're basically saying one thing, but we don't really mean what we say. And that's what people hear. That's why He's so adamant about this. It's so important early on, especially for, for the church, for people to be putting God on display out there 
And so when you have a group of people that say it, but they don't live it, their hearts aren't in, he is dressing this here. And he's saying, ultimately, that disobedience proves disbelief. You don't really believe in Jesus. You just say you do. And so that's what he gets to. So let's read the text. We'll come back and we'll look at each one of these real quickly over the first one and then focus in on the second and third ones. Alright, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put Me to the test and saw My works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known My ways. As I swore in My wrath, they shall not enter My rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Do you notice that? He says in verse 14, for we have come to share, it might say be partakers in, be in union with Christ, if what? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There it is again. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So he equates unbelief with disobedience. So God's warning us that when our eyes go off of Him, and that's what unbelief is. That's really what a lack of faith is. And here's what's so crazy. Do you know every day people go, you know what? I just want to see evidence. I, I want to see... I want God to reveal something to me. And I, I, I just want to say to Him, you know what? Because they struggle with faith. They struggle with, well, it's just you got to have faith. I can't do that. And I'm like, yes, you do. You do it every day. Did you go eat at a restaurant the other day? Did you go back in the kitchen and watch them cook that meal? Did you see them put the ingredients on that hamburger? Did you, did, did you get on that airplane? Did you verify the credentials of the pilot? You get on there and you just sit, you put your headphones on, you sit there, watch a movie. You could care less. It could be anybody up there flying the plane. You don't know. You, you exercise faith that, that Delta or who whatever airline you're with is telling you, okay, we put a good pilot up there. But you exercise faith when you sit on that airplane. So we exercise faith every day, but when it comes to God, we go, this isn't enough. I need more than this. we got to have more than this. 2,000 years people have been trying to disprove this book. And His Word is ageless. And, and that's why He quotes 
to these people right away. He says, listen, today, don't harden your heart. And he goes back, remember, that phrase, that first little part there, is a quote from Psalm 95 that was quoted every Sabbath in the synagogue. That's how important it was that God wanted this read every week in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. It was a call to worship as they did in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and they saw my works for how many years? 40 Forty years. Do you know how long it is right now when this letter was written? When they believe it was written? Forty years after Christ's resurrection. They believe it was written about 40 years after His resurrection. So it's no coincidence He's plopping 40 down there. He's basically saying, this is talking to you. You, today, don't harden your heart. And so today, what does today mean? Well, for you and me, it's December 4th, 2019. It's today. I think it's today the 4th? Yeah. Today's the 4th. For us, that's today. Don't harden your heart. You see, a hard heart is like, I was over there walking a few months ago in a field that was supposed to be planted. It was supposed to be a farmer's field, but it had these massive rocks in it. I mean, big rocks. You know, when I think about stony ground, I've been thinking about these little stones. These were mat. You couldn't even move these big boulders. They were hard. You ain't getting nothing in that ground. Nothing is going in that ground. And that's the way our hearts are sometimes. And the thing that makes our hearts hard it says down here is the deceitfulness of sin. Which really points to what? When you give in to sin, you say, I want sin rather than obeying God. I trust myself. You're making yourself the God of your life. And he's saying, don't do that. Today, don't harden your heart. And he gives this example from David talking in Psalm 95, which quotes from Exodus chapter 16 that I read a couple weeks ago. In Exodus 17. And what had happened? He, he talks, he doesn't go into great detail here because they know the story. Listen, you know the most quoted story in all the Bible? Do you know what it is? John 3.16? No, that's not a story. That's a verse. I'm talking about a story. The most quoted story in all the Bible. No. It's the Exodus. It is the most quoted story from Genesis to Revelation, it is told over and over and referenced over and over in Psalms, in the prophets, when he talks about you, you, you're supposed to trust me because you saw what I did in Egypt. Egypt was always symbolic of sin. And that's why they celebrated the Passover to remind them of him delivering them out of Egypt. By what? The Passover lamb. And what did He do? He did these ten great miracles. And they came out of Egypt. They walked across. And now they get to the Red Sea after He's already done all this other stuff. And they go, oh no, we're going to die. And they turn around. And He says, hey, God, what are we supposed to do? And He says, hold up your staff. And the water goes, and they start walking across. They get to the other side. And they get over there and they look. The Egyptians are still coming. Oh no, we're going to die. You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And what had God told them already? He had already told them He's going to take them 
He's going to take them to Canaan, to the promised land, to a land of rest. And yet they still didn't believe. He did miracle after miracle. And after then, he brings the wall of water down on the Egyptian forces. Then there, we, we saw in 16 where they're out there and we go, we ain't got no food. Man, it was better to be back in Egypt with the meat pots and the bread that we ate every day. You brought us out here to die from hunger. And Moses goes, Lord, what am I going to do with these people? They're going to kill me. They're going to stone me. They're stiff-necked. And he says, I'm going to give them food coming out their nostrils. And I'm going to feed them. And he does. But then, just in the next chapter of Exodus 17, he takes them to a place again in the desert, in the wilderness, and they go, we ain't got no water. Give us water. It's not, Lord, we need water. Lord, we look to You. Do you remember Jesus when He fed the 5,000 and He said to His disciples, hey, how are you guys going to feed these people? And it says, I love it when we get commentary in the Scriptures, and it says He said this to test them for He already knew what He was going to do. Do you think God didn't know what He was going to do in the wilderness when He led them there and He let them be hungry? And He led them there and He let them be thirsty? Yes, we know that because Jesus quoted in Matthew 4, Deuteronomy 8. Remember we read that a couple of weeks ago? And in Deuteronomy 8 where He says man doesn't live by bread alone, you go back a few verses before that and it says when God led you into the wilderness and He let you hunger to test you to see if you would obey Him. Because when do we disobey God? We disobey Him when we think we need something more than He wants us to have it. That's the bottom line. When we take matters into our own hands, did we have a problem with that from the beginning? Yes. From the time Cain got upset, when God came to Cain and He said, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Instead of listening to what God said, He went and killed His brother. Abraham, I'm too old to have a baby. Sarah's complaining to him. And he goes, what do you want me to do? Am I God that I can give you a child? And she says, well, take Hagar and go give me a child through Hagar. And instead of trusting God, he goes and does that. And we've had problems in the Middle East ever since because of that issue. All throughout, see, the problem with you and me is instead of trusting in God and His Word, when we think we deserve something or we, we demand something, we put ourselves on the throne above God. That's what we do. And His Word becomes not authoritative in our life. And that's a bad place to be if you're His kid. It's a bad place to be if you're not His kid, but it's a terrible place to be. To, to, to say that you're His kid and you are supposed to be putting Him on display and instead of trusting Him when you're going through a hard time, you go, you know what? Uh, I, I deserve better than this, God. Gil, you said it on the radio a few weeks ago. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. And you're dealing with a, a terrible disease right now in the form of that a pancreatic cancer. But if you think you deserve better, it's going to affect your attitude. But if you don't think you deserve the air you breathe, then you know every day is a gift. 
And you know he's in control. See, the issue always resolves around, or revolves around, do I trust him to take me where he wants me to go and give me what he wants me to give me to use me the way he wants to use me? Because a lot of times we say we love God and we trust Him, but we, we, we trust Him when He gives us what we want Him to give us. And so God tests us, people. He does. And that's what He says in Deuteronomy. I took Him out into the wilderness to test them to see if they would really obey. Is His Word authoritative? Is, is it authoritative? Do I believe it's ageless? You know how many people say, they, oh, you know what, God's Word doesn't really apply today. You know, He didn't really mean that women were not supposed to be elders and pastors in churches. That was for a different time. Really? Then why does He take it back to Adam and Eve when He says that in Timothy? If it would have meant just culturally, yeah, there's some cultural things that are different. But when He, he takes back the issue to Adam and Eve, that's not. But see, we dismiss that and say, well, that's... God's Word has changed. We have a more progressive view of His Word today. Well, you can progress yourself right out of the kingdom. Right. You can. And, and we have a responsibility as His kids to say what the truth is in love to people, but to stand up and be men who are spiritual warriors, who are unashamed of this book. Because I'm going to tell you, it's going to get harder and more difficult to be somebody who says, this is my authority. When you start talking to your kids and grandkids about it, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. That's crazy. You believe that? That was written 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. You know, Papa, I don't really believe that. Or whatever. But God wants us to live by this and to show the world that we're His. And His people have always been formed around His Word. You know that? From the beginning, it was always around His Word. When, when Josiah found the Scriptures, they had been lost. They, hadn't, they didn't have them. And when he was king and they went in and they found the Scriptures and they read them, they read them for eight hours. They're sitting there reading. The people in the sound were weeping. They were weeping. And you know what they were reading? Leviticus. How do you weep over Leviticus? Deuteronomy. They were weeping over these things that were bringing out the fact that they had not been putting God on display. It's our authority. And, 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 it's, and it's ageless. Amen. But he says in verse 12, he says, take care, brothers. Take care. He doesn't say holy brothers like he did at the beginning of the chapter. He's talking here to Jewish people who are not believers. He's talking to the intellectually people, uh, the intellectually bought in people, not to the people that are all in in their heart. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Can you be a believer and have an unbelieving heart? No. You can't. Leading you to fall away from the living God. That word there is the word we get apostasy from. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. So here's he's saying. He's saying these two things, guys. That our hearts are guarded through alertness. He says, take care. That, that really means uh, that we've got to be alert. We've got to be alert to what? Alert to what we do matching up with what God's Word says. In other words, when you are the deceitfulness of riches, or the, I'm sorry, not the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of sin is when Satan comes along and says, you know what, Amos? Um, I, I know you're really angry with this person, and you have a right to say anything you want to say to them because they hurt you really bad. And you blow off at them. See, Jesus was the perfect embodiment of God in a human body. And so when we look at Jesus, we see how do we respond when people mistreat us. When we look at Jesus, we see how He interacts with the poor. We see how He interacts with people. And I've told you guys this before. I've talked to married men who've told me, you know, God doesn't want me to be unhappy the rest of my life. I know that. That's not the God I serve. You ain't serving the God of the Bible. If your happiness is the litmus test for obedience, because I can tell you there's a lot of things that I have to do that I ain't happy about, but I do them because I obey my king. I obey my king. You see, we have to let the Scriptures be the lens through which we see the things we do on a day-to-day basis. And we have to be alert that the enemy wants to come in and use the deceitfulness of sin. And here's what it is. Satan's a liar. He's a murderer. And he gives us these empty promises. Sin promises fulfillment, but it always delivers emptiness, guys. It always does. Satan goes, come on. Come on, Tim. Come on. Come on, Tim. I want you to do this. You know you deserve it. Come on. You want this. And then the moment you do, he goes, you filthy, shameful. And he starts pointing a finger. And then you get in this vicious circle. You don't feel like you can go to God. You don't feel like you can approach God because that's exactly what he wants. You got to keep your guard up. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful. But you know what it says in Jeremiah 17.5 right before that? It says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. In other words, you trust in yourself or any man-centered wisdom, you're going to be cursed. The only place you can go for wisdom is the Word of God. And unbelief, guys, is, is, is a result of hard heart. This move by personal gain. And with that, you have no rest and no hope. And that was the problem. When, when they left, and he says, I want you guys to go and go into Canaan. And when you go into Canaan, I'm sending out 12 spies. He sends 12 spies. 12 of them come back. 10 of them say, no way. There's no way we can go over there and take that land. After God just destroyed the Egyptian army. No way we can go do that. After God just provided food out of thin air. No way we can do that. God just provided water out of a rock. No way we can go over there and do that. 
And, and you know, we look at them and, and we go, how could they not believe? And we do the same thing. There's no way. I, I've talked to people. There's no way God's going to redeem my child. No way God's going to redeem my marriage. No way God's going to redeem my business. No way God's going to redeem this. No way God's going to redeem that. Is He God or is He not? Is He a God who can do anything? Is there anything too big for God? And there's nothing too small for Him. It's interesting that in, in um, Numbers 14, 22, and 23, God says ten times, ten times you people rebelled. You, you, you rebelled, you complained, and you complained. Ten times I had to deal with your rebellion. And I think back in my life, he's dealt with rebellion a lot more in my life than ten times. But I told you a last a couple of weeks ago, complaining hearts blind our eyes. And what happens is we're not alert. We just, we're not alert to the fact that the enemy is trying to use the deceitfulness of sin to harden our heart to basically get us to move away from God. But true belief is a tender heart moved by God's love and it brings rest and hope. That's what he wants. That's ultimately what God wants. And He says, listen, exhort one another. You know what the word there is for exhort? It's paraclete. It's the word we get uh, that for, used for the Holy Spirit over in John. Uh, that means to come alongside. And as brothers, we come alongside each other and encourage one another. Don't go down that road. Be alert. Watch out. The enemy's trying to take you down this road. And we don't like it when people do that to us sometimes because we go, yeah, but I want this so bad. I deserve this. And it's this entitlement attitude that we have. we got to look out for each other. We're, we're like a team. We're supposed to be a team. That's why Jesus didn't just call one. He called 12 guys. And He told them to hang with each other and encourage one another. And the world are going to know that you're mine by your love for one another. You're going to function differently. You're not going to be individualistic. You're going to function together. That's why it's so important, guys, for you to be a part. Not just come here to, to hear something come from God's Word and something I may share or Brad may share, or anybody else. But it's to come here to see each other so that you can look into each other's eyes and go, Greg, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Okay, have a good day. That's what we do at church. Jay, how you doing? I'm, I'm good, man, I'm good. And Lakeem, look you in the eye because he knows that's not the truth. And instead of just letting that go, say, well, what's wrong, man? Everything... everything Really okay? Or are you just telling me that? That's what good friends do. Good friends pick up the phone call or pick up the phone and say, uh, you know what, uh, Gil? I've had you on my heart today, man. Are you doing okay? Are you hanging in there? Because I know this is tough. You're in the desert right now. The desert is when we tend to wander. That's when the enemy comes in and attacks. When did he go to Jesus? He'd been in the desert 40 days and he comes in there and says, Hey, don't you want bread? Aren't you hungry? That's what he did with the children of Israel. And instead of going to Moses and saying, Moses, man, we're hungry. What do we do? They just go, give us food. You brought us out here to die. And they complained and grumbled. And 
Grumbling, complaining. It's human, but it shows no faith. It shows God entitlement. God does not like it. Huh? God does not I don't, like it. He doesn't like it. It says he, he, he loathed he, it. He hates it, yes. He loathed it. We've got to test our desires with God's Word and we've got to exhort one another. Our hearts are guarded through this accountability. We've got to pay attention and stay connected to one another. No man can be an island, guys. And then in verse 16, he has these six questions. He, he asks a question and then answers a question with a question. And basically what he's saying, all six of these questions are revealing the fact that our faith is ultimately proven by our actions and our allegiance. And so he's, and he's, what he's doing is brilliant because he's getting them to answer the questions. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? They know who it was. It was the children of Israel. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Yes, they left Egypt. What was Egypt? Symbolic of sin and slavery. Yes, it was those people that God delivered through Moses. And with whom was He provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? In other words, what He's saying is, those people paid a price for their disbelief. I'm warning you. They paid a heavy price, the people who... They, they sinned and they died. Remember snakes came into the wilderness? And ate them? I mean, they bit them and they died. There was, there was an accountability there. And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He equates disobedience to disbelief. Don't tell me you believe in something if you don't obey what that something's telling you to do. Obedience always indicates faith and trust. 1 John 3.18 says that we should live in deed and truth. In other words, our actions are like a TV screen showing that there's really faith on the inside of our life. We begin in faith, we continue in faith, and we finish in faith. Philippians 1.6 says, He will be faithful to complete it in us. It's not what we do. He does it through us. But guys, we are His. When James says, you know, don't just be a hearer of the Word, be a doer of the Word, what he's saying is, if this faith is real, you are going to put it on display for people. And what's the best place to put it on display? It's in the desert. Right? I mean, if, if, if some guy's got a million dollars and he's sitting over here and he goes, you know what? I, I love Jesus. He's so good to me. And you got a guy over here who's homeless, but who has joy and peace and says, you know what? Life's tough, but I love Jesus. He's so good to me. Which one of those is more powerful? And it's not that it's wrong to have money. I'm just saying that when we put our faith on display in the desert, it shouts that it's real. It shouts that it's real. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. No one. 
No one can snatch you once you're his. The question is, are you ever in his hand? See, to be in his hand, you've got to trust him and put yourself there and say, okay, I trust you. I trust you. John 15, 6, it says if we don't abide, which means to walk with, then we're going to be thrown away. Which means we were really never His to begin with. Faith without works, guys, is like a body without a spirit in it. And what is a body without a spirit? It's a corpse. It's dead. That's exactly what James is talking about. And here's the amazing thing about all this. These people who were professing but who weren't there, you can be with God's people. You can benefit from God's grace and His provision. You can, you can walk and you can say, yeah, Jesus is great. But you can still be an unbeliever in the midst of that. And think you are. Those are the people that are going to say, but Lord, Lord, I did this. I went to this church. I went to this Bible study. I gave out turkeys on it was SWAT. I was there. Yeah, I tithed. I did all that stuff. But you can still be unchanged due to unbelief. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says it's impossible to become faithless when your faith is in Jesus. It's impossible. Because He won't let you do that. Because He's your shepherd. And He says nothing will snatch you out of My hand. So here's the questions we have to ask myself. I have to ask myself and I'd ask you to ask yours. Am I guarding my heart? Am I accountable? Who in my life am I accountable to? Is there anybody poking me in the chest saying, hey, are you really loving Him? Are you really living for Him? I know it's hard, but are you really loving Him? What do my actions reveal about my allegiance, my ultimate allegiance and my faith? In other, if people around me, what do they see in me? Do they see a person of faith? Or do they just see a person that talks about faith? And the biggest question is, what am I going to do about it today? Because today is the day. Today is the day. Don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. Father, I just pray that You would bless us. Uh, you would help us to really grasp this. That's a hard truth. I know it is. Especially when you're going through a desert. And, and we go through relational deserts, physical deserts, financial deserts, Lord. And some of us are in the wilderness right now. And I just pray that You would help us to not grumble, to not complain, Lord, but to yield to Your leadership and yield to Your plan, whatever that may be, and to trust You. And I pray for strength for those of us who are struggling right now. Thank you. Just strengthen us to let Your Word be our authority and let Your Spirit guide us and let Your Son lead us. That's my prayer. And if you're here today and maybe that has not defined you, maybe today would be that day as the Scripture said, today, don't harden your heart. So take a moment right now, inventory real quick in your life. And maybe today you say, God, I want to repent. I want to be on a new path in my life. I have been complaining. I have been bitter. I have been grumbling. 
help me to trust you and to put you on display. We love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.